Listen, baby, ain't no mountain high, ain't no valley low, ain't no river wide enough, baby. If you need me, call me, no matter where you are, no matter how far. Don't worry, baby, just call my name. I'll be there in a hurry. You don't need to worry. Dad, I love it, man. That was great. I wanted to hear the whole track. Well, you know, I just uh, not bad for off the cuff. Right there, <coughs> I man. did just sign up for singing lessons. That's a uh, did you really? Yep, yeah. Me and a couple of buddies have been doing, uh, you know, things we want to do in our life, and one of mine is, is be able to confidently sing. So you did well. Thank you. You did very, very yeah. well. So you guys are playing like a little quartet or kind of thing. Like no, it's a personal thing. No, I, oh. I, I'm doing mine. A buddy of mine's doing deep sea fishing. So so everyone's got to choose something, and the we've got we've got a list, man. We've got a list. Yeah, wow. we call ourselves Green Lights. Nice, man. I like it. Yeah. How young are you guys, man? I'm 31. The the group ranges from 28 to, to 45. Wow. Whose idea was this to start off with? Uh, a couple of us, actually. My, mine and a good buddy of mine. Um, <clears throat> you know, we always have a, a good group of entrepreneurs that go out and travel the world and, you know, end up, it's, it always ends up on the booze, right? Yeah. And we're like, you know what? A bunch of driven entrepreneurs. We don't love to work together. So let's not do, you know, let's not start business together, but let's. Think outside the box of how we could enhance our lives. And so we said, all right, well, let's put a little something together. Let's hold some accountability. So we started this group called Green Lights. Obviously, green means go. And uh, and you start off by a couple, you know, key questions. But the big thing is, what's 25 life experiences that you want to enjoy? So a buddy of mine's a certified coach, and he goes, you're going to get stuck at 17. Why 17? What's Why 17? 17? Why 17? Because... Because number two and number four is travel. Travel. Oh, yeah. Well, where do you want to go? You want to go to Italy? You want to go to Spain? We're in Spain. We're in Italy. You want to go to France? You want to go to Alaska? So all of a sudden, you start breaking it down. And as soon as you become more specific, then you become more attainable. And then we break those down into one, three, and lifetime goals. And then you have every time we have a meeting, you have a 24-hour action plan. So uh, my 24-hour action plan was looking at some music lessons. So that's what I did. A buddy of mine was booking his deep sea fishing. Yeah. So he booked his. And yeah, just like it was a group of eight of us. It's pretty so powerful. Accountability then. Accountability. You, you guys are just looking at each other and going, what's going on next? What's going on next? A little bit of ideas, a little bit of accountability, you know, outside the box thinking. But it's not about the size of the, the actual achievement. <sighs> it's just about the achievement, right? Yeah, it's about the experience, right? Like <clears throat> why, you know, why do you want to do th something and why is it so important? We always talk about you know, oh, we want to do this, or, oh, I wish I did that. So why, why aren't you doing it? What's the next step forward that you want to take? Because many of us come up with more reasons not to do it than to do, actually do it. Yeah, or just, just no plan. Zero plan. Zero action. Good for you, man. Yeah, green lights, baby. I love it. It's totally so. So it's a, it's a cross section of trades and also other people. That oh, yeah, we got realtors, uh, just, just good friends of mine that, that again, the, the goals are big. The conversations are massive. And we were like, well, the, where's the action? Right? We're all doing it in our own facets. So the goal, the, the, <clears throat> the strategy of the business is to not, or the group, I should say, is not to do business. Keep your business. Everyone's doing their business, right? If you need help, obviously call each other. But yeah, let's keep it about experiences. So we're doing, uh, we're doing a rental car thing. So Porsche has this thing where you can rent Porsches at like the Porsche Canada Center. Okay. And do like a like a supercar experience where you like follow a Porsche driver and 
you know, 1500 bucks, you have an experience of a lifetime. You'd be amazed what you could find out when there's all these huge corporations that are doing things that nobody, like very few of us know. There's a, <clears throat> there's a drifting course done by a guy with a bunch of Subarus. Really? Nuts. As we just finished our expressos, that's all it is, man. I, I love it. it the show opened up completely different than we're so used to, man. But I'm, I'm really excited about what we're going to talk about today. Obviously, we'll talk about plumbing and heating and HVAC. And yeah, all sure. Stuff. So stuff like that. We'll talk about construction. But uh, we got Dan Guest in the house here, Guest Plumbing and HVAC, um, at Guest Plumbing, eight years in the business, and you're a visionary and president. Visionary first, president second. Yes. That's important, huh? Yeah, that changed a couple of years ago with a strategy called, uh, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with EOS um, yeah. and uh, the book called Traction, but kind of labeled yourself uh, a little bit differently than, you know, the past. And I think as an entrepreneur gone from uh, tradesperson to business owner, it was always like president was almost like fluffy. Yeah. And then you start getting the size and okay, I can be president or maybe I can be CEO or leader whatever you want to call it but eos really visionary is like yeah what is the vision for the company and who who guides that vision and it really takes a lot of energy out of the word president i find um even though that's what kind of the act is is really the the visionary is the one that guides and creates opportunities for the business and i feel like that's it's more aligned yeah 100 percent. it's it's clearly defining what's going on totally uh quick shout out jd build and design i'm wearing this hoodie today so uh everyone knows that i do a show i wear somebody else's hoodie man it's just our tea or hat or whatever it is man but i want to have i guess my first question to you is because this has been going on lately there's been a lot of chatter over social media about how there's a labor force that's disappearing we don't have it there's that void from the early 30s to the mid 40s but then you get the social media, and I guess I pretend I'm a 20-something-year-old kid just about to get into construction, and I'm coming up to you, Dan. Is this a viable career option, man? You'd be in the right spot. So I'm going to kill you with positivity today because I think that's all. Uh, I think it's a load of shit that <clears throat> people are talking about the next generation don't want to get in. Um, but the I next generation is learning how not even to take care of their own homes or take care of these yeah, problems. I, you know, getting into that conversation is interesting. But the bigger thing is I always ask is, how many young people are you hiring? Right? True. I always say, you know, people go like, especially in our industry, well, any construction industry, oh, I could use seven carpenters tomorrow. I'll get work. I could have 10 more plumbers. I go, yeah, okay. Well, you can't find anybody. Okay, how many entry-level guys are you hiring right now? They don't want to deal with teaching. Cool. If everybody decides to not deal with teaching, there's not going to be a labor force. Yeah. So shut up. And Hire. Teach. Guess who taught you? Somebody. So give back. You're the problem. Yeah. And if you're a company that doesn't want to do that, then get on a business. How big is your company? We're 35. Like, this is a serious deal. When you got started, how long ago did you get started? When was the first time you grabbed the plumber's wrench here? Yeah, I was uh, 17, uh, high school co-op. Actually started as a farm boy. Um, a lot of respect for farm boys and girls, man. Yeah. You, guys are, like, you guys are hard workers. You guys understand the value of a hard day's work. So I was a city boy that got hired by my first boss as his farm boy. So I wow. didn't know what hard work meant. <laughs> Until so, you got on until there. Until I got hired there. Wow. And, and the, you know, Charlie Firth, he, he is an absolute legend. He's he's taught me so much about being a, 
you know, <clears throat> being a man, being a being a tradesman, um, being a tradesperson in general, but also respect, uh, you know, relationships, so many different things. But he dropped, his son was like 6'3", 225 pounds when he was like 18. Holy. Massive. <laughs> and he was a farm boy. The guy's, the guy's palm could like fit over my face. And, uh, and I'll never forget, his dad dropped two, he had about... Probably like a 400-foot driveway on the country. Okay. And he dropped two dump trucks full of soil and then mulch in the driveway and blocked himself in and said, you guys going to move it so I can get out to dinner? Or is this going to be a problem? And I'll just, I'll never forget that because it was like, his son was like, yeah, right, fuck off, dad. Like, you know, I know what you're doing. But it, for me, it was, are you going to quit? Yeah. And I tell the story all the time because it's interesting. Like uh, there was a couple times in my early career where he challenged me like that. And I was so motivated not to give up, but it was so ridiculous that he was pushing me to some of those things. Um, but Did he you taught, question he, it. He taught me a lot. No, never, never questioned. He's it, terrified. Right? Yeah. He had a You're he teenager. Had, <clears throat> yeah. He had a subtle, terrifying calmness about him. Mm. That was like, you used to not be calm. And that was that was really. That's because he's been through it. He's been through it. He was yeah, just you know respect. Yeah, and, and I think the, um, you know, the younger generation going through that, um, going through that now is just like you can't assume people know. No. Why, and 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 why, right? You take the assumption out, and you ask some questions. We just uh we just had an apprenticeship meeting with a new staff, so we have this new onboarding for apprentices. So we hired a guy three months ago. He's been doing great. So we signed him up this morning. And for anybody out there that's, you know, gone through the apprenticeship program, it took me a year and a half to get signed up, right? Some people two years, some people more, some people were for five years, never get signed up. Yeah. And, uh, and I was asking him and I said, like, you know, do you know, like, normally this is pretty unheard of? And he goes, oh, thank you. Like, I didn't know that. How am I supposed to know that this is cool? Like. <laughs> This is I'm just, learning as I'm going. I'm learning. This is my first trade job. It makes sense that I get signed up because that's what we normally do. But a lot of people have the conversation around like, oh, well, what if you sign them and they, and they leave, right? They just use you as the first There's step. that argument, I know. Cool. It's, a, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a garbage argument. It's horrible. First of all, you should be proud of the fact that that person is inspired to actually go on their own or try something bigger and better Amazing. and stay in touch with that person too to find out what goals are they going to achieve. Amazing. Don't look at it like, oh, he's going to be my competition one day. No. You should never look at it that way. It's pathetic. I've but it's interesting, it. right? Like you have to get into that mindset eventually, right? And then once you're in that mindset, it's very powerful. Yeah. Because there's only, everything's an opportunity. I posted on my Instagram this morning, but there's a Denzel Washington uh, interview. And he goes, they start off the interview, someone's complaining or whatever. And he goes, oh, well, boy, what an opportunity that is. What an opportunity to it's turn that around. two ways to look at it. Yeah, it's amazing. And it's, but if you can do that, the power that you harness, right? We had a manager that was supposed to start. We, we were opening a second location in Toronto. So first location's Hamilton. We're about 35 staff. Uh, COVID hit us pretty hard. We went from 22 plumbers to four. Oh, and wow, then eh? during COVID, we opened a, a second division which to start our HVAC. So it originally started as guest plumbing and heating. Now we're guest plumbing and HVAC. Okay. 
which is it's a big definition in the industry. Like you, heating doesn't mean air conditioning, obviously, yeah. but uh, HVAC does. So, you know, big hurdle, big mental hurdle, imposter syndrome. Okay, going to open a second location. Who's this kid that you know barely passed high school that's going to, you know, own a own a large scale company with some big goals and um, hiring managers. First manager we're going to hire coming out of Toronto. Um, they're going to train in Ancaster, which is where we're located. Um, and then they're going to open up the location, right? So I'm hiring managers. I'm having great interviews with, like, you know, high-salary guys. Awesome, right? Gives us two weeks, accepts the, accepts the position. The night before, emails me at 8 o'clock saying it was a Monday, a holiday Monday, so this was last week. Emails me and says, oh, man, uh, just want to be up front. I got another job offer today. Wow. Right? And uh, I'm like, yeah, okay, red flag. Like, he's not sure he's going to wait on it. So, like, you know, old me snaps. Fuck you, this kid. You know, I'm done with it. New me's like, this is just another opportunity. Now I've honed in my, um, honed in my, honed in my interview skills, right? What was I missing from that interview to see this? Maybe it was it my pitch. Maybe it was my offer, right? Maybe it was just not the right fit. But let's go into the next opportunity, right? So now I have a whole new uh, lineup of people. It was like, oh, man, I wasted two weeks. I didn't waste two weeks. You learned. I learned. And that two weeks now gives me a different labor pool to pull, to pull from. So even though you could easily sit there and say, man, the people today, like, generalizing and taking it all out, it's like, oh, you don't, you can't think like that. You got to think, look, look at that also find what, what good can I find? Well, instead of actually, what bad is I? Am I always seeing? No, no, no. What good can I find? Of course, that's all it is. It. There is good out there, man. There's even great out there. Fantastic. You just gotta, and then be the one and the business that finds the good before other businesses find the good. Totally simple as that. Really, it's but it's true. But this is construction, though. We always look at the the negative before we start looking at the positive. We have to turn it around and look at the positive before we start even noticing the negative. Not a guest. <laughs> I don't see it. I don't feel it from guests that way. No. That's it's, all, it's another opportunity to succeed. Are you getting nervous that you're growing too quick? No. Because a lot of guys are interested in growing, but they're nervous about growing too quick. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, you said right, COVID 22 to 4. That's a big jump, right? Yeah. That's a huge jump. Yeah. Yeah, that was a hurdle. Um, that was a hurdle that we faced. I remember there was some, like, real mental challenges with, man, what am I doing? Right. The COVID conversations, you know, COVID taught us a lot about like fear, I would say. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, there's under there's more learning that comes with growth. So as I've gone through the business, my business career, I'd say you have to understand cash flow. Which is a big multiplier of how quickly you can grow. Yeah. If you've got great cash flow, grow as fast as you want. Because more people, you're going to be able to create more processes quicker, right? So, it's, oh, I don't have the process for that. Well, guess what? If you have an extra position there because you have more people, guess what? When you get to that level of having an HR, guess who's going to take care of all your HR that you never had? The HR person. Exactly. If you don't have cash flow, that's where you get into the growing too quick thing, right? Because you can control people. People are under, under control. Cash is the problem, right? Well, you don't have good payments coming in. Well, what's your payment collection process? What's, how do you invoice, right? And then you just enhance, enhance, enhance. Um, so if you don't have investors or if you don't have a stack of cash, which I never had, 
there's a potential of growing too quick. Yeah. Where we're at now, we're pretty stable. Um, we're a high-risk company from the start. I always say you got to risk it for the biscuit. But that being said, now we've got a little bit more control over that. When we went from 22 to 4 with COVID, there was a lot of entitlement that went through my mind, which is, oh, man, we're shut down for this. We better, someone better help us out. Government better do something. Um, I felt entitled. And then the question that kept coming up was, well, did you stretch yourself too thin, right? How did you not prepare for this? It's like you just had to check yourself real quick. Okay, how the hell do you, if you are constantly in preparation for the world to stop, you're not an aggressive business owner. Yeah. You're not a strategy business owner. If you're always scared, listen, I always say worst case scenario, my mother loves me. She's a great cook, and I can stay in her basement. <laughs> There's always a scenario. That's it, man. It's like, and, the, and, and then, you know, I feel so fortunate for so many people now, right? Because you talk about, um, say you're a business owner. Say you're within your first 15 years of business right now. Even if you did good during COVID, right? Tell me a more challenging event that's going to happen to you in your business. In this generation that's going on right now, probably nothing else. The only thing I could, because I, I wanted to just not just say nothing. Yeah. An active world war that we're in. That we're in. Because you could say Ukraine's a world war. Yeah. But that we're like fighting it. Yeah. That's the only thing that I would have to say that could be worse. You can't go to work. You can't talk to other people. Right? Your safety policy goes to shit. Um, you know, people were like, well, you're essential. It's like, how many people did you call to go into your house? So that was really interesting for us, but it's amazing. It's like, it's just such an opportunity there because you look at it and it's like, what do I have to fear? Where am I? What am I scared about? Nothing. You're only scared about what you actually are telling yourself, man. It's as simple as that. Yeah. I think hopefully there's a large group of us that learned a lot of valuable lessons during this time totally. about their business. This is strictly about their business, right? So how they could weather this storm and get prepared for it because Previous generations went through bad recessions, totally. right? Smaller recessions, you know, economy turns and things like that. But this was the first sign of a speed bump in yeah. their professional life, right? I loved it, though, man. It's a good, it's like, you know. You Again, the, you, you, the, you were looking at it like opportunity. I look at it looking back, right? When you're in chaos, it's tough to enjoy it. Yeah. After chaos, you go, wow, right? Just imagine you had a bad breakup. After that breakup, you find the new one. The mistakes from the old one don't go to the new one. They don't, never do. Never do. No. So you, you, you want to thank the old one. You go to a business deal, right? You get screwed for some money, which we've all been screwed for some money, right? It's definition of construction. That's it. <laughs> and then you go into the next job, you got better terms, right? You don't put your, all your material on site. Exactly. Guess what? You learned. And, uh, you know, I'll speak to all entrepreneurs out there. No one could have told me different at that stage. Of no, life. you have to experience it. That's the thing about it. You actually have to go through yeah. the shit totally to just appreciate what happened, right? 100%. So when you got started, was this always the plan? <laughs> no. It was never the plan. You didn't have this vision Zero. when you got started. You didn't think, oh, fuck, 35, this is what it's going to grow up to. This is what, no, no right? Chance. No. I had... Um, I had a great job. I loved it. I loved my career. I was so proud to be a plumber. Um, How was that step, though, to 
step away from security like that. Yeah, I did it all pretty quick. I did my first house, my first new vehicle, and my first business in like like six months. Um, it was just I was I was working for a company in Stony Creek, Matina Mechanical. They're fantastic guys to work for. Um, they taught me so much. They did some cool projects that I didn't even know were in plumbing. Like yeah. I remember. I remember because I came from a residential sector, and these guys did, you know, universities and colleges. And the big, the big deals. The man. big, yeah, the big deals. Like yeah. I did a maple leaf food plant that had like thirteen hundred stainless steel welded floor drains. Holy cow! It was like nothing. Like in the summer, it's the Zahara, right? You're in a in a field with a bunch of excavators. I didn't know that was plumbing. <laughs> so, I was doing. Um, I always thought, you know, make a great salary, which I was making there, and get into real estate. And that was it. The people that were, I would say, like mentors in the sense of I could touch and feel them, had rental properties, a couple, uh, yeah, rental properties, a couple, you know, they'd have like two or three. They'd work. They'd be a foreman. And they seemed like they had great lives, good families, you know. It's kind of who I, like, idolized after it's kind of the staple when it comes to a tradesperson as, yeah. a, as a kind of a passive income idea totally right it yeah. works and it doesn't work so there's certain times that it kind of falls apart but a lot of guys are getting into that and i looked at my like the reason i didn't look into business ownership because i looked at my first couple bosses and i really didn't have anything i wanted that they had like they were first one in last one out didn't really look like they were enjoying themselves too much. I'm sure in the background they were. And maybe I didn't understand it because I didn't own the business, right? So I'm like, you're just working more than me. You have leaf tickets. You have seasons to the wraps, but you're not going, right? Little did I know, like, there's a lot of things in the background where you get a lot of fulfillment on a different stuff. Okay. So I had an opportunity downtown Hamilton, a uh, guy that I was doing some kind of smaller scale stuff, but... Right before I went on on my own, it was like, like I remember, you know, digging holes at 12 o'clock at night before work, like doing a gym forum. We couldn't find a, a sanitary main. And he bought this like plot of land and it was like in between two buildings and we're standing in the middle. So there's two buildings and an empty space. And he goes, I'm, I'm putting six stories up here. Do you want to do it? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> I think I said no five times. Uh, Steve Kolkowski, shout out. Um, and, uh, yeah, Steve Kolkowski and Jordan Fortino. And actually, um, so eventually I just said, yeah, you know, what's the worst that could, could happen, right? If I can make, in my head it was, if I can make a 1000 bucks a week and get some time back, some time back, um, then I'll be good. I'll do my real estate thing. It's not how it worked. So then... Kind of started to grow. I really made, a, made an effort to brand myself well from the beginning. I always thought, you know, we did our branding around Apple. Okay. So what is Apple? Apple's a marketing company. Apple's a computer company. Apple's a phone company. It's a user-based. Yeah. So in my head, I was like, okay, well, we need a logo, and we need to always be able to drop the name. So if you look at Guest, drop the plumbing and HVAC we have a podcast, the Guest, Guest Life Podcast. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, like, you know, it's always been that. If we needed to be guest mechanical, if we needed to be guest investments, whatever. 
So the goal was always just guessed what is guessed. Um, and it worked really well. And, you know, for an, a pretty archaic industry from a marketing standpoint, uh, we did pretty well. And then I remember... The messaging got out there. The messaging got out there. The brand was there. Um, <coughs> yeah, the support was there, I guess. Um, but, yeah, and then I remember, like, every van was like, oh, one more, one more van and, and we're good. One more van and we're good. There's no way we can do this. Like, and I remember at the fifth van, um, my cousin would sell me these, these vans, and I was like, I'm going to stop saying this is it, and I'm just going to get one when I need one. And now we've got 19 or 20 vehicles. Um, which is mind blowing, but yeah, it just, it, it, it started becoming like, okay, what's holding me back here? And then what do we want? Um, so yeah, re really, you know, found a passion and then, the, you know, it went from doing the passion to be the projects. to the passion to be the people as the business owner. But you're surrounding yourself with people that are contributing to your ideas, right? Yeah. Like they're, they're my, it's like kind of my guide. Okay. And then it's it's now our ideas. So And you have no problem sharing that. No. No. We share all our numbers with our finance like our finances with everybody. Um, I bring this up because construction has a stereotype that they don't want to share those numbers. It goes back to that I don't want to teach this kid and then the kid's gonna go off on their own and then yeah. take what I've taught them. If you're a business owner You wanna grow? No, but like you know how hard it is to do it. Yeah. If you think that person can do it, why would you hold them back? It's, Never. It's not for everybody. No. Right? COVID really taught us that. Like, you know, uh, I was sitting by myself in my office. By myself. Sometimes crying, sometimes laughing. <laughs> sometimes both. Sometimes at the exact same time. Yeah, but I think, like, you know, you look at some of the challenges you do. With, like, some of the calls you get, and you're like... Okay, like not everybody would be able to handle that. And oh. not everybody's built to. And that's that I think is, is really, really good, but also really okay. Um, so, yeah, it, it's just, you know, not everybody wants No, it. I've always said it's always an interesting uh, cast of characters that belong in construction. You meet some very, very interesting individuals. And I'm not saying eccentric or kind of off-the-wall kind of people. Just like people that think outside the box. They yeah, they create possible. Yes. <clears throat> it's a, like, you, can, you can't be too calculated. No. no. Or I wouldn't have done anything. Everybody, I've got 10 copies of this book. Kim over at uh, Sandler Training gave me 10 copies. I've actually read this book. This is actually a really good book. It, it, um, the way it describes scenarios for you to deal with homeowners entering in their house, selling your services as tradespeople, it's a valuable book. I got 10 copies. All you got to do for anybody who's listened to the show is tell me what's Carlito's favorite glue to use on the space shuttle. And I will send you a copy of this. Okay. And the, that glue has been mentioned several times on the show. And anybody who's listened to the show knows what I'm talking about. You DM me, email me, just send me a message. Tell me the glue that he uses that he loves on the space shuttle. And I will send you a copy. Thanks guys. I want to ask you before we get into history of construction here, you got so many vans. How is that whole fiasco during the, the microchip days and, and these prices of these vans and these pickup trucks? And yeah. 
It's insane, man. Yeah, a little bit challenging, man. Like, just another opportunity to succeed. Um, <laughs> you know, like... No, but I had conversations yeah. too, man. I was switching up, and then I'm hearing price tags that are tickling 100 grand, and I'm like, going, oh, it's a van. It's a van. Yeah, so, like, for the construction industry itself, it's like, you know, you start, you start looking at it differently. Um, you know, one of the things I looked at is, if you look at, like, 2008... As like a point in time. The housing crisis in the U.S. Yeah, like the economy or the recession, whatever you want to call it. These big words that people use to scare the shit out of you. Um, I found it's like, okay, so how long is this going to last? What's the biggest, longest recession? Everything has an end, man. Even go back to the Great Depression. It had an end. Of course. And like we're so much smarter now. Yeah. Right? So what we looked at was, okay, so what's the plan? So we have... We, I ordered 10 vans and I have a cousin that works for Ford and he, and I even knew from him, I, I go, I got to diversify. Like I've got to start calling around and putting two orders in here and two orders in there and two orders in there and two orders. Well, it's going to be a year, eh? That's what they'd say. That's it's going to be a year. They might as well get t-shirts made with that say thing. I'd say, I'd say, great. <laughs> That's what I'm going to need them. <laughs> Put the order in now. Yeah. So we, ended, like we ended up doing pretty good. Um, you know, again, you're only needing vans if you're growing. So what are you complaining about? Uh, we positivity on that side. Yeah. Think like, about it. Yeah. Like you're growing during COVID and you need a new van. Oh, Ter- yeah. oh feel so terrible. Terrible. <laughs> oh, that sucks, man. So like, it, you know, it, it just, again, like the people that were like bitching and complaining about it. Yeah. It was a problem. Was it like the end of the world? No. And no. if they needed a van that bad, they were available. You just have to pay more. That's all. Cool. So if you're not a good planner, you pay more. That, that makes good sense, right? I'm not talking about, and, and again, like there's some big time problems. Some people need a thousand staff. Some people like Amazon need, you know, a thousand vans. I don't have those problems. So, but again, bigger problems, bigger solutions, bigger payout. Um, I'm sure they have ins, right? Like if you think about Ford came up with its own color for Amazon vans. Did they really? Mm-hmm. They yeah, designed like their a, own specific... Like a navy, navy blue, yep. Yeah, well, I mean, such an entity like Amazon. Yeah, so you're thinking like, well, Amazon's probably struggling right now. Well, no, they're not, right? Because they're, they're, they're pulling their weight around, and we're not Amazon, so we have to respect that. Yeah. And if you want to complain about it, stop ordering, because you're not going to do that. And if you're worried about vehicle prices, stop getting on Uber Eats. So st- just shut up. It's one... I got to do history and construction. <laughs> Hang on a sec. We got to talk a little bit of plumbing here. Uh, I want to ask you, Dan, uh, who made the very first AC? Any Oof. idea? I'd call it, I said GE. First modern day air, air conditioner as we know it was invented in 1902 by Willis Haviland Carrier. Carrier, okay. Carrier, a skilled engineer who began experimenting with the laws of humidity control to solve the uh, application problem at a printing plant in Brooklyn, New York. Okay. So uh, when did HVAC become common? 1960 50s Fuck. thanks to increased american uh after world war ii air conditioning units first became widely affordable every american uh everyday americans were able to buy room units and enjoy cool comfort year round uh how did people keep cool in the 1800s way before uh, hvac world was in um paper fans kept windows and doors shut at midday to keep hot air out delayed cooking 
and baking and kitchen chores until the cooler evening hours, opened windows at bedtime to let the cool night air in, blue fans, flan, blue fans across blocks of ice. Perfect. Uh, how old is a track last? A unit. Let's say average. I was actually years? surprised to hear this 10 one. Years? I, I had the chance. Yeah, ten to twenty-five. Yeah, is the average lifespan of, and then actually that shortens if you don't maintain and take care of it. Yeah, I wouldn't say twenty-five anymore. No, no, it's about ten but to yeah. fifteen. I think at the max. Yeah. I just swapped mine out, and it was 17, 18 years old, right? Yeah. So some of the older units can run. That was a little history in construction there. I just want to share. Um, I had a question I want to ask you about. Uh, what was the last thing that we were just talking about before the little break there? People vans. Vans was something else. I don't know. I had a question that I can't remember. We'll get to it eventually. Um, oh fuck, I'm trying to remember the fuck. It was a plumbing question. Damn, I can't remember it. <laughs> so you're all Ford vans, but tool wise though. Tool, yeah. Do you, okay? Does everybody? I guess. Are you guys all red? You got you guys are all red. Yeah, Milwaukee. You must be all Milwaukee. Yeah, Milwaukee makes some fantastic uh, plumbing HVAC tools. Yeah, we had Hilti for a while. Um, they do some awesome, awesome work. Um, it's just like the nice thing now is we have the data. So we say, "Where's your data?" And looking at the data, looking at the cost, uh, it's just so much more money to buy uh, uh, Hilti than Milwaukee. I agree with you. It, because it'll last a lot longer, mm-hmm. right? And that's what I think. I think that there actually should be, there should be like an F1 for tradespeople. And when I say that, I mean, there should be an arsenal of tools that are, should not be accessible to any DIY or, or average Joe out there. I think they should just be the F1 tools for tradespeople because you guys put it through the ringer when you're using these tools, Right, and I think that there should be two classifications at that. But I guess they're not going to do that, so they're trying to sell it because they're trying to sell as many units as possible. But what you guys do to those tools compared to what an average homeowner does are two different things, man. Yeah, <coughs> yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I bet a homeowner takes care of them more <laughs> because they get used once or twice a year. I think the Christmas lights come out more often than those tools, right? Yeah, yeah. Like you know, I I never understood, like. <sighs> Yeah, I hated using company tools back in the day. Give me my own stuff. Like, I want my own stuff that I bought. And, like, it was just a pride thing. Like, like no chance I was going to use company pipe wrenches. What was the reasoning behind that? My tools, my joints. You know exactly what's yeah. going on. Got the feel. Got you the know wrench. the feel of it. The, yeah. yeah, exactly. It's an extension a, of you. Yep. So, you know, most of our guys have their own combo kits. But, like, all the... All of our journey people usually like to keep their stuff nice and tight. And the apprentices learn from that. You know, they, they talk about cost. It's challenging, again, if you don't explain it to, to the guys of, like, what the expectation is as an apprentice. So we always tell we always tell our apprentices, like, here, start with this, this small kit. This is kind of the bare minimum. But you're going to want to build from here. And then how we educate our journey people is we talk to them about yeah, you can let that apprentice use that tool for now, but eventually you got to get him to get his own. Yep. Um, and you've got to invest in yourself. So, but they're eventually they're going to want to get their own. Yeah. It's a it's a switch though. Yeah. Like it's a it's a quick switch. I think it's usually around their third year. I remember, like you know, I was a horrible apprentice when I started. I wanted to. Why do you I, say that? What was just I was not handy. 
you know, I failed shop class in high school. <laughs> I didn't like. I Did you literally get an F on your report yeah, card in shop class? Yeah, I was no good. Like I, uh, I didn't, I, I didn't see the final product. Now it's like, you know, I can go into a building and you can I, visualize it. Yeah, I know how it's built. I know how it's put together. I know what I would do. Um, I can see it when it comes from a drawing to a thing. But I think that's taught. We were ta- I was talking to somebody. They were asking me how to speak to their their kid about what they wanted to do. And I said, it's really hard to love something if you're not good at it. Yeah. And it's really hard to be passionate about it if you're not great at it. And for having someone to say, well, I want to do the, I, I want to be a plumber. I, I love plumbing. Before they're good at it or great at it, it's tough. So how do you love what you do? And a lot of people, it's like, well, what, what do you mean? If you're great at what you do, it's really easy to love it. Yeah. Right? It's not work. No. And, it's, and it can be put in a couple different things, right? So as a business owner, it's like, well, if you love plumbing, but now you got to run a business, you can kind of lose your identity. And I find that's a really interesting topic for a lot of people because a lot of people, a lot of business owners that I, that I know, more new I think I kind of, I step, I try to step out of that conversation quite often now, right? Like I don't. I, I, don't, agree, I agree with you. That's what I'm seeing. I don't have time for it, but it's like, I don't have anything to offer because I'm just going to, I don't argue, but it's like, we're, we're going to have conflicting statements because you think people suck and I think people are great. <laughs> so I find, but it's really hard because if they're not into the business, they don't want to sit in front of a computer. It's really hard to run a business, right? So. That's where I, I think it's kind of really interesting. When was the last time you swung any tool? Because you're not you're not on the tools these days, right? No, no you're running the business side. And that's the thing is that I put I, up a I put up a picture frame the other day. Did you really? With uh, yeah, I used a tape measure as a little a hammer because I didn't have a hammer at my house. <laughs> my tools got stolen. You know they got like my little three M sticky things that you can stick on the wall and it uses shear force. I don't there. trust those. You don't trust those? How big's the picture? <laughs> that wasn't that big. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I uh, I had it was like a sign, you know, when you get those those things that cross your life. So I had it was probably about a year and a half in. I was still kind of on the tools, but trying to get off of it. I had a really great friend of mine that was always really pushing me to get off the tools, get off the tools. He goes, "You don't know what you don't know until you until you do it." Because your passion wasn't in the tools anymore. Your it, passion was veering off, and it changes in life. It was my. I didn't know that your passion would switch. I didn't know that I would end up liking the business side, right? So I was lost. So, and then what you find is you f- you feel like you're copping out. You feel like you're not one of the guys yeah. anymore. Or one, of the, you know, one of the team members. You miss those days, those moments early, site conversations, jokes. Sure. But also it's like the, I'd, I'd say more from a place of judgment. I was 23 when I opened the business. Oh, wow. Yeah, so like at 24 and a half, I wasn't on the tools telling guys... You know, not telling guys what to do, but being the owner of a business. Um, and so there was like, a, oh, I got to still have my tools. I got to be able to strap them on if I need to. And then I had my tools stolen from the back of my truck, but they dismantled the cover. It was a, it was a really, really great job. Like, they did an awesome job. And I was like, I was like, I... I swear I had a cover on last night. And then I was like, <laughs> I swear my tools in there. And I just never bought tools again. 
Yeah. I was just like, that was a sign. I was just thank you guys. Like, <laughs> you, just saved me. You, you helped me make my decision. Oh, it was so easy. And because yeah. I was still like, I had him in the truck, but I was never really there. And then, you know, whatever. Um, but yeah, so it's been six years. It's been a while. It's been a while. Yeah. Um, but you're building other things. You're building, which I, I've always said that it's more important to actually build a business than it is to actually build your trade. Yeah. If you're not, it just depends what you want. Yeah. If you want to be an owner operator, it's it's a very amazing uh, journey to do. I would say if you're an owner operator, do not have more than five staff. If you want to, if you want to stick with being on the tools, if you are over five staff, you're going to start things will start to suffer. Um, but yeah, owner operator, you make a great living. You make whatever you want to say. You want to say 200k. You want to say 250k. Whatever you want to say. Um, you know, if you're an absolute stud, maybe you make a little bit more than that. But, yeah, you'll make that. No problem. You know, a good uh, tradesperson's probably making 100 to, if they're a foreman, maybe 130, 140. Yeah, that's right? actual fact. Yeah. So if you want to be a, a, an owner-operator, yeah, you can make the two, 200, 250, plus your different tax brackets, plus your, you know, there's a lot of expenses that you can write off. We call it, like, we call it the Dan Fund back in the day. Where it's like, you know, it's a lifestyle business, um, which is actually a, a statement that I heard maybe like two years ago. And it fu- it hit me so well. Like, oh, no, you have a lifestyle business. And I was like, oh, wow. That's so interesting. Because I know a lot of people that do. That's true. Yeah, they go for dinners, pay for, like, you know, dinners are paid for, gas is paid for, trucks paid for. Guess what? They got a sweet truck. Guess what? They drive everywhere. Guess what? They spend quite a bit of money on dinners. You got a lifestyle business. You're right. You're, you know, tax man's not watching, but you're putting a reno through the business, right? Doing some cash. You're living a good. You're living a good life. Technically speaking, you're not doing anything illegal. No. Right. We're well, not paying tax. It's illegal. <laughs> you're not. I actually change that to. Uh, you're not doing anything no different than what other upper echelon people are doing with their own businesses totally yeah they're just taking advantage of gray areas is all it is right it's not illegal it's just you're using the system for what it is yeah if you don't understand the tax law you're not you shouldn't be in business that's why you go back to the business side of business and start understanding that swinging the hammer and everything like that that's a different world you'll pick that up right away yeah yeah i call it my power group like if you got a good power group which is you know um, your bookkeeper, which is your most important person, not you your need counter. to know the numbers going in and out. Yeah, quickly. Yeah. So your bookkeeper, your accountant, your tax planner, your lawyer, um, and then your right hand, and that's your power group. If you got a good power group, you can you can kind of you need to have those meetings. Excuse me, at least quarterly, and just bounce ideas off. We call it the the, the box. Get in the box. <laughs> Found some ideas and there's the no, wall. You got to close the door. There's no stupid ideas, right? No stupid ideas. No stupid, no stupid long-term ideas. Uh, we look at like reporting. What, what are you reporting on? And then something that I just, you know, you couldn't have told me a hundred times if you drilled it into my head, but data, data. Data is so critical. Get the data. Figure out where things are working and where things are not working and get, why. Get the data. This goes back to the very beginning when you're talking about how you just learn. You learn from that last one. Now you modified your agreement. You modified the way you run your business. You modify the way your estimate's going to be now. You modify everything. Data is dictating that. 
Yeah. Where are you guys getting your windshield washer fluid? The gas station? Or are you buying it in a skid from Costco? Exactly. It's a third of the price. Everybody needs it. I learned that in my first year when I started watching a framer go right into a supplier and bought a skid of nails. Yep. I'm not buying one box of nails per job or two boxes, whatever it is. I'm going to get a skid because I guess what? I have that job. I have another job. I have another job. I have another job. It depends if he's good with his cash flow. So understanding like we had an issue uh, probably like three years ago where we'd stock quite a bit of stuff because we were getting stock pricing. So we're getting a lot of pricing back, but I had like 150K in stock. Oh, wow. So you're carrying a lot. Yeah. So what we did was we just, and there was no way to track where the job, where the money was going, right? Because guys were going to a job and just taking in everything. Not, it's not about theft, but it's about not knowing like if you quoted properly, right? So you have the time to the job, but you don't know the material. There's missing data. You're missing data. So we stopped, uh, we stopped doing stocking, but we started um, negotiating that we'd get stock pricing. It's great. I want to ask you, Dan, what ultimately is the end game here? You figured, you came in, started, and you had no idea it was going to get to this point, yeah. but now once you got into this point, it's grown to this point. But obviously with your green light group and everybody else and, and your key people around you, there is an end. I don't know. Oh, there has to be an end. So now, when I say the end, I don't mean it in a negative way. I mean, no, no, no. You, so you the, pass uh, it on to somebody <laughs> else, you, you, you grow it to somebody else or whatever, something else, right? Have you heard of Simon Sinek? Yeah. Yeah, so the infinite game. So our business uh, really thrives off that concept. Uh, so Simon Sinek, for anybody listening, is an absolutely incredible speaker. Um, some really good mindset shifting, especially when it comes to management and leadership. Um, and we talk about the difference between finite and infinite. So a finite game is, say, a, a basketball game or a football game. There's a start and the end. There's rules, right? There's a winner and a loser. Business is infinite, right? There's no start. There's no stop. Anyone can join at any time. You know, the winners are subjective. It doesn't mean that there isn't finite things within the infinite game. So there's not like you, you're winning a job or a bid or something like that. But the whole goal of it is if you're thinking about things infinitely, it makes it a lot easier to make decisions and also understand that you'll get there if you want to get there. Yeah. So you talk about that green lights uh, concept that our friends have, and it's like, I want to do all this stuff. Or, well, when do you want to do it? Do you need to, like, what's priority? Rather than feeling like you've got so much to do and it's an overwhelming thought, just say, what are we going to do next? And then we'll do the next thing. Then we'll do the next thing. So when it comes to business, it's like, what are we going to do next? What are we going to do after that? And I think that's really, it, it helped me a lot calm down the overwhelm from, I would say, some of the advice that I was consuming like the overwhelming advice, which is if you want business advice, it's pretty easy. Have great customers, make good profits, have great employee culture, right? Make sure everybody's happy, right? Have goals, be growing 10 to 25% a year. Sure, do it. Like, okay, sure. Right, all those. There's so many factors that go into that. But when you're getting external advice, you'd be like, "Man, I'm really struggling right now." 
like for a while, like when we got out of the owner operator concept, it was really hard to be making profit. I call it the eating shit phase. They actually make money. Like yeah. You, you had jobs, you had work, but you weren't making money. No. And like, you know, understanding how, and then you, you look at it and it's like, I, I call it, it's, it is pretty, I try to simplify it for anybody that I give advice to, which is when you're running an owner operator business, you're wearing, let's call it four hats. Yeah. If not more. Yeah. So you're managing your team, like with a fine tooth comb most of the time. You're managing all the banking, so you're the bookkeeper. You're managing the estimates, so the estimator. You're doing the project management, and you're doing sales, right? And sometimes you're also adding in work there. You don't define this as that. So you're working at 180% capacity, and you're about to hire somebody for 80 to 100 grand a year, and they're going to be running at like 65 the reason that running at 65 is because you don't know what they're actually going to do yet. <laughs> so you're going to, you're trying to train them. So now you're taking a step from 180% um, you know, positively because you're doing everything down to 65 yep. and you're almost gone. Is that the owner operator's insecurity? No, I'd say that's just like the, that would be the next step in business. I call it like the, I call it the eating shit phase. Okay. Because you're go that's why so many people don't get out of owner operator, because that phase is really hard. They just get stuck in there. When you got to push through, because it's it's super depressing when you when you're going from making all this money, so you're making that two hundred k a year, you're running, you're grooving, and this okay, I want to grow. You just need more people to steal all your tools from the back of your truck. Exactly, <laughs> exactly, <laughs> and you'll do it. You just need that push. Something has to happen that gives you that push, whether that's uh, yourself or external or family or coworkers or your significant other. You need someone to just that push, right? I'd say I say there's three types of people. This is my claim to fame. There's three types of people. Number one, friends and family. Mm -hmm. They love you. They're going to support you. They're going to push you, but never out of your comfort zone because they don't want to see you fail, especially if you're being successful. So... That was the definition of my friends and family. Oh, Dan, you know, you're doing great. What do you, you know, you don't need to do that. Okay, great. Number two, everybody else. Essentially, it doesn't really matter what you do. They're just there. Makes sense. Um, and number three, it's a, it's a mythological creature. It doesn't exist. Um, it's a unicorn. <laughs> I was just going to say it. Okay. And this unicorn, the characteristics is somebody that's going to push you out of your comfort zone going to support you along the way, going to pick you up when you fall, but it's really going to push you to your limits and, and show you what you're truly capable of. The nice thing about finding a unicorn is that they, they travel in herds. So once you can identify one unicorn and you find that out of, the, out of the crowd or out of the pack, all of a sudden you can start identifying more. And that kind of spirals into the fact that, like, don't undervalue what you find in an entrepreneurial unicorn. Um and you can really double down on it. And then when you're going into new relationships, you can quickly identify, is it a one, two, or a unicorn? And that's been my, kind of my strategy going forward. Like, where is the information coming from? Or where is the advice coming from? And then my next strategy with that is that, so far anyways, I've had two types of mentors, key mentors. And this isn't really my unicorn. It, it, they're unicorns, but in their own sense. 
So first level of mentor is that owner-operator business owner. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, man, you're running a business or she's running a business, doing great things. Um, but you get to the point where you're five, six, seven, eight people, and they go, don't get too big, man. People suck. People are going to steal from you. You're not going to know what they're doing on site. I've tried it, man. Don't do it. It sucks. It's not worth it. You make way more money here. Look at me. I got this. And then the next level, and you know this now because you're just, it's so easy to identify. And all they talk about is how great their people is, how great their team is, how smart they are, how amazing their clients are, their suppliers, their partners. That's the second level of mentor. And that's where I feel the space I'm in. Um, and that's who I want to be around. People that are solution-based and people-driven. Because any big business that's doing any type of volume is people-driven. People yeah, it is for sure. I want to ask you, um, what's the crop like these days, man? The young trades that are getting into, getting specifically into your, your, your industry. They're fantastic. Are they? Sit down and talk to one. They're yeah. awesome. Yeah, they need some guidance, man. But we forget where we were. I didn't know. You what. totally forget. Once you achieve it and oh, you're going back man. to it, listen, you, all the accomplishments, as soon as you pass it, you're like, that was easy. But at the moment, that was difficult. Yep. So it's the same thing. But I guess that crop of kids, are they too ambitious? Are they too, too ready, thinking that they're ready? Yeah, you know, if you want to, if you want to like categorize the entire youth population, no, no, I'm talking to strictly plumbers here because no, I, I got Elijah. Elijah started with us last week, a co-op student in a high school. This kid is just a, he's a sweet kid, right? He's like 17, maybe 16, 17. Um, you know, went through the uh, co-op program with school, which is like it's kind of like oh yeah, but we have to sign them up. Um, and yeah, like they're, they're, you know, you get some that don't know, they just take a co-op to take a co-op and you get others that are like, well, I don't know what plumbing is. Like we have to remember where did I, I didn't know plumbing was an option. Oh, someone had to teach you, man. But I didn't even know it was an option. In school? No. Well, they don't. And that's a whole other show that I'm planning on working on with a few other guests that have been on the show before where in all fairness, guidance counselors in schools, they're not presenting this. No, and I think, you know, um, you've got to do a job of making it, like, people People want to make people suffer the way they suffered, to feel like it's a, well, this is what I did, so you got to do it. Uh, yes and no. So <laughs> I just think, like, you know, give, give them the opportunity. Ask them what their interests are. They're different from yours, right? You know, your generation listened to records. Mine listened to MP3 players. Theirs listened to their phone. <laughs> <laughs> right, I I had a, I had a discman that had an anti skip. It was sick. Right, <laughs> I still have it at the bus station. Right, <laughs> and my dad listened to records, and, and you know my mom listened to vinyl, and like, so they're different. Yeah. So if you're not spending time understanding and educating and asking them, so what I always do when we when we talk to our staff is, it's not how was your weekend. It was what was the best part of your weekend. Mm. What was the best part of your weekend? Oh, nothing, man. It was chill. What do you mean, Joe? What'd you do? What did you do? Well, I was over at my buddy's or I played some video games, Call of Duty or something. Oh, you're into video games. What do you play? 
I don't play video games. I, don't, I, I always had the third generation of whatever was out. I was like four <laughs> years behind the entire time. My mom will tell you that. I'd get the hand-me-downs from my rich buddies. So, but yeah, ask, ask those kids. Find out what they're interested in and get a little interested in it. Right? Like, take the time to understand. Well, how'd you get here? Are you into cars? I learned the other day, my uh, Ethan. Ethan's a co-op student that we just hired as an apprentice. He just got signed up. He has n he had no idea how the apprenticeship program works. And I go, what's going on, man? Like, you, how was your weekend? Oh, I was just looking at some car stuff. What, well, what are you into? He wants a Dodge Magnum. And I'm like, a 2008, I, I learned at our breakfast we had on Friday that Ethan, who's 19. Loves a station wagon. Lo loves a station wagon. <laughs> a, a Dodge Magnum. I'm like, man. I'm going to start sending them Dodge Magnum pigs. Like, have them relate so that work is an enjoyable place where they feel heard, they feel listened to, they feel understood. And then teach them whatever the trade is that you're getting into. Trust me, they'll be happy. They'll absorb it a lot. And they will perform. Yeah. If you're talking about adult shit or stuff that they can't relate to, guess what? Work is just a place to go to work. And you don't want work to be a place to go to work. No, man. And trust me, you'll learn something. Right? Like, I remember all the old guys used to be like, oh, man, back in the day when I used to get laid all the time. And it's just like, you were married at 18. Like, <laughs> what? what? <laughs> you had a kid at 21. You're just old and senile, man. That's and that I, sliding and, door life of yours. That's yeah, what it is. And you I, wish you went down that way. <laughs> and I used to call him out all the time, you senile old man. Um, but yeah, like, you know, it was uphill to both ways of school, right? And I, like, we... Uh, Snow. Yeah, yeah, of course, man, in California. <laughs> but, um, no, I think, uh, you know, it's really interesting. you got to put some time in. Whatever, whatever you put your energy, you know, things flow. And uh, our youth are fantastic. we got to give them the benefit of the doubt. we got to stop making excuses for ourselves to say that they're the problem. They're not. Who teaches them? Who taught you, right? It, co it comes back to like some parenting conversations. Like I can't wait to be a, a parent so that I can actually live the, live it out. But I can't wait. Um, and the reason is, it's like, okay, so how do you how are you going to parent? That's a difficult question. Eh, it's you know, so you're going to take what you like from yours. Yeah, you're going to try to manipulate things that you didn't like. That's you instinctive, know. right? Of course, right. Uh, but if you're smart. You're going to learn external ways of parenting yeah. and then create a, a way that you want to parent. Just like business. If you just do business the way that your last company did business, you're going to be a little bit better than them. But if you start absorbing, right, opening that funnel, taking it all in, and that's what we really did at Guest. We started, wow, what are all these other businesses doing? And the best thing I ever did was join an organization called... Um, uh, tech Canada, TEC Canada. It's a peer coaching group, and you're not allowed to be in the same type of business. So there's only one plumber there. Well, it's it's not because you can be in different trades. Actually, you probably be in different. You could probably be in a plumbing company, just not in the same area. Oh, okay. Because um, it's pretty. You're very transparent. So, but what it does is like business is business, and that's how you end up creating a great business. Yeah. Is you take from everybody. Take from all kinds of industries. Yeah, man. Like the tech, construction like, has a hard time doing that. They don't understand that you can learn lessons from other industries. But you're, but we say construction because we're in construction. In that group, 
Someone says accounting. Exactly. In the other group, someone says tech. And someone's referencing construction in the other group too. Yeah, 100%. And it's, it's, it, but it's really interesting once you kind of open your mind that like, well, the construction industry is like, ah. Right? I always have the conversation with a buddy of mine. He's a roofing contractor. He goes, oh, man, I wish, I wish my guys had licenses. I, guess, I go, I wish my guys could be anyone. <laughs> it's, it's the same argument. It's two different ways to look two at different it. Different ways I got a, a friend with a big sofa company, right? And I go, man, my accounts receivable is 500K. And he goes, man, that's crazy. I go, how much is your inventory? He's like, $2 million. I'm like, boom. I go, it's both cash flow. So it's just a different strategy of cash flow. So, you know, being open to external ways of thinking just opens your mind. I know we're talking construction life. That's what we do here. But um, Yeah, but that encompasses the entire life. This whole show is not necessarily just about the tradespeople. It's about the tradespeople's lives. Totally. That's why I enjoy it, right? Because there's That's always, a, there's a whole other segment to it, man, than just if, swinging if the you, hammer. If you drop the word and then just put business... I always ask, what is business? What is business? Business is marketing. Business is brand. Business is culture. Business is strategy. Business is accounting. Business is goals and planning. Um, business is people. Business is onboarding, HR, like w whatever it is. Drop the, drop the, it's like drop the, the in Facebook. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's not the Facebook. It's just Facebook. So when you're talking about your business and stuff like that, guys, like just don't, don't limit yourself to, all my industries this shut up no it's not it's more than that man obc talk here okay there'll be a little q a here you, you probably know some of this stuff hvac systems are divided into uh how many different types of systems oh you've got a couple now sorry Do you want me to name them yeah yeah there's four main types of hvac systems what are the four main types yes you got uh like heating cooling yes uh in floor uh ductless well there, uh, yeah so you got duck free which is mini splits Heat pump now. Uh, they say package heating and air conditioning systems and hybrid split systems. Yeah. Yeah. So he, so he, that's a heat pump. Okay. So you got a heat pump system right now that's coming out, which is pretty much the big conversation nowadays, which is like they're jacking up your gas bill, dropping your electricity bill. Okay. And then they're subsidizing the cost of these heat pump systems. Kind For of. how long? We'll see. What are the two main types of HVAC systems? Uh, central and local. Yep. I don't, okay. That's a, uh, yeah, so it would be like central, so that means you have a duct. Duct system. Then, your, your localized system. Yes. So that's where you'd have like a ductless system. A ductless system. Those yeah. are the two types. Now, what part of the OBC belongs to heating, ventilating, and air conditioning? We know part nine is basically all other building aspects of it, but what part of the OBC... You're asking the wrong guy, man. Part six. Part six of the OBC, right? So they actually cover uh, installation standards, heat recovery ventilators, asbestos. You're no okay. longer allowed. I was actually reading up on this. They actually said in the current OBC, you're not allowed to actually use anything that's asbestos contained uh, for wrapping or whatever, right? Um, air contaminants, commercial cooking equipment, drain pans, materials and air duct systems, and supply return intake and exhaust air openings. That's got everything to do with HVAC. A lot, man. A lot, of, a, lot, a lot of big things. It's the number one. I, I would say that HVAC is like the one go-to trade that, because it's recession-proof, it's service-oriented, it's new construction, commercial, residential, industrial. There's so much opportunity. Yeah, I used to think plumbing was pretty diverse. Plumbers probably have the most... 
not 100% on that. But, like, we used to, when I was in commercial plumbing, we did so many different things from framing to concrete. Why were you guys responsible for that stuff? You're doing back framing all the time. You're cutting bracing in. Yeah, I could see that. Propping things up before there's walls. Just like I felt so diverse with my tool strategy. You wanted to pour concrete, I'll pour concrete with you. You want me to build your block wall, I could do that too. And it was just because you, it was like on a necessity you had to do it. If you just wanted to be, I'm just putting this pipe in the wall and I'm going to leave, you couldn't last. No. You know, um, one of the things I never learned was wiring, but some of the best trades people I knew were like awesome when it came to electrical, like controls and techniques and stuff like that with pumps and systems. So, yeah, HVAC's, HVAC's been great as well getting into that industry. Like, so 90, this is a cool stat, but 90% of our lives are um, climatized. Yeah. We spend more time indoors than we do outdoors, the 90%. average person. So you're in your car. You're, in you're going from building. your home to your garage to yeah. your car yeah. to your work to the underground parking to your office. Yeah. Maybe then, unless you're in Vancouver. Uh, like they're hiking quite a bit. Yeah, but they're still getting into certain vehicles. Or I guess they're cycling. Maybe they're cycling. Yeah, there might be cycling, but but yeah. So you know, talking about the quality of air that you have, and like even uh, especially sleep now. There's so much conversation around sleep. So there's a lot of th- there's a lot of stuff that's going on, and, and education is so huge, right? Like you trusting trusting your contractor is massive. But there's a lot of for lack of a better word, and uh, the word's been overused for the last few years, misinformation. Yeah. You get a lot of uh, misunderstanding of clients doing Google searches just to find out, okay, wh- how should I make my air in my house better? How should I make the water flow in my house better? How can I, like, all this, or filter my water, or pure, whatever, all kinds of stuff. But there's so much marketing attached to all these different products, and then you got to figure out which tradesperson is in bed and not in bed with certain brands totally yeah no, it's so now point. you get a conflict of interest right so that's why i just kind of i try to figure out what's the best way to do certain things it's not necessarily one particular brand right yeah so what i would say to anybody that's like kind of going down there, that hole is no reputable company is going to install product that isn't quality yeah so uh, we always say uh um we always tell manufacturers because they'll come to us all the time, right? Because we have do. a we have a good brand, um, and they think that we're going to market it. But w- what we talk about is like, does the industry already know about the product, and are the margins any better than any other product? Because if the margins aren't two hundred percent, right, I'm not going to sell your product over that product if it's not better. So if it's the same margins, I'm just going to sell the best product. So what that does is there's a conversation around there's no point in being the second cheapest. There's value in being the cheapest. If you're going to be the cheapest guy all the time, no problem. Be the cheapest guy. That there's You'll get va- the calls. There is value there, right? You're going to get a volume play, and you're going to make good money. There's no point in being the second cheapest. So where that comes down to is understand where your value is and where your marketing play is. When we started the company, and I say we because, you know, yes, it was I at the beginning, but now it's we. Um, I would have painted your fence. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Now, people, you got to be picky. Well, if you want to grow, you, you got to take it all and then refine. 
That's how I that's how I define it. Right? Unless you have time. Time makes sense, right? If you want to do things a little bit slower or different. There's no right or wrong with business. That's the nice thing about the infinite game, right? Different rules. You learn. So, yeah, what I found is just align yourself with people with great um, great product, um, understand and product knowledge, um, and then price will follow, right? And then the, there's value there. Like, a lot of people do have value. I'm, I'm a person myself. Like, we have customer personas. So, like, what type of customer persona are you? And identifying that's really important, right? You want the guy that just wants it done, right? You want the woman that just wants, you know, wants it understood, wants it maintained, wants to be, you know, head of the game, doesn't want to be without AC or a toilet for a day. That's too much. Um, or you've got the handy person that's, like, that knows most of it, but just needs that final security. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that person, right? It's just identifying how you like absorb that into your strategy. So like if we're like, we only want people that don't know what the hell they're talking about and we can take advantage of them. You're missing so many opportunities. Yeah. Right. So, but identifying who you're, we say who you're educating what to. So we don't use the term upsell, right? We say educate. So like <laughs> we just started selling Connecticut water treatment and this brand is just incredible, right? The biggest water treatment in North America. Yeah, no, a very good brand. Yeah, but so like I didn't know anything about water treatment prior to that. Oh, water softening got hard water. No. They took us through this training that was absolutely incredible and like solidified everything that I believed in when it came to like water. And I'm like, oh, well, I've got a fridge filter. I get all my, I only drink fridge filter water. And he goes, oh yeah, the, uh, the feel good filter. <laughs> but I was like, yeah, yeah. kidding me. But it's a feel good. Did film. he show you the data behind that? Oh man, yeah. Because that's what I w I enjoy seeing that. Right, it's incredible. Yeah, and we here in Ontario, we've got some of the harshest and hardest water, and and it just damages fixtures. That's all it does, man. Over time. Yeah, and you can, um, you know, there's a lot of different people talking about. Um, yeah, like my drinking water. So like we've we've put some drinking fountains in residential homes. Really? Yep. Those bottle filler stations. Yeah. That have the bottle count on top. Yeah. So we've been putting those in some of our big custom houses. Hey, hey you guys drink a lot of water. It's a great opportunity to do it. It's off to the side. It's right before you go out. Maybe it's in a in a like a like a close like not a closed closet, but like a some of the houses that we do have some pretty big like uh, entryways into the house. Yeah. Into the garage or something like that where the laundry is. So, like, yeah. Oh, put it here. Perfect. Can Kinetic actually do a partnership with San Pellegrino? That'd be cool. That'd be cool, eh? <laughs> That'd be really cool. It'd be, uh, what's the other one called? The Which one? The Perry? No, the machine. Oh, the soda? Yeah, soda stream. No, it doesn't taste the same, man. I'm sorry, man. It, for whatever reason, I'm particular about carbonated water. But it's probably like you don't like the Sony. No, I don't. You don't like the Sony? No. No, no. I don't. And I don't even like Perrier. Perrier is way too gassy in my opinion, man. Yeah. That's just me, but. But so, like, understanding if you do value your water, right? So there's Extremely. A good, there's a good pickup line that you can use on, on your next date. <laughs> That's your wife. But you go, uh, you know, hey, do you like water? She goes, yeah, I love water. It's good because I'm 90% water. <laughs> we all are. Yeah. So uh, that's your next pickup line. You can, uh, you can tag me in that one. This is what I was going to ask you. So... Are these kids still being taught to solder these days? 
Yeah. They have to, right? Even though the whole world has gone plastic and packs and Upanor and all you kinds still of gotta solder. Like you it's, still it's part solder. of the trade, but um Yeah, that's a that's an interesting conversation. I mean it just depends what you're doing, right? Like the I think what we need to be teaching the students more is price to application. Yeah. That's one thing I didn't learn when I was younger. So, like, what's the difference between Upanor and PEX? Well, Upanor makes more sense, right? Because you're opening the bore and you're getting more flow. Cool. It's two-thirds more. Who's paying for that? In the end, client. Is it? Right? So, it's like, if we're going to be, like, if you're going to make a switch on site, you've got to let the business owner know or the manager know to be paying the client. Like, if I went to a bathroom rough-in and said, I'm using Upanor, I'm going to charge you 25% more, and I'd be like, put that in my quote, it's not going to happen. No, they won't approve it. No. <laughs> the other but shit. then I try to have conversations about flow and yeah. volume. If they'll listen. They'll have a serious glazed look on their face, and they won't really pay attention to it. But yep. once they I, – I only deal with it with clients that actually want to start bringing in the luxury items. Totally. Certain fixtures. I don't care about just a faucet or a toilet. I don't care about any of that. And that's your persona. Yeah. Right? Persona A. That's your persona for That's that. who you're looking for that's at who, that point. If, yeah, they, like, if they bring up those questions. Yeah. So, like, we don't even educate – we don't even educate clients on water purification, usually at the beginning of their home because they're – they're, we've just identified that most of them, I'd say most, not all, but most of them, when we bring up the topic, they're thinking upsell. And we're going to say... It's unfortunate they're thinking that. No, they're on a budget, man. I get it. Everybody's eyes are bigger than their mouth. So, But they always want this shower that has a thousand heads in it, right? Yeah, yeah, or a tile that's 30 bucks a square foot. Or but, a stove that's the price of a car. 100%. But so what we do is it doesn't mean they don't want the water quality. It means that right now it's not the key important thing. So if you want to be an educator and you want to think about it, what are you doing after sales service? True. So in two years, they have three grand. In a year, they have three grand. You know what? Yeah, I want to upgrade my home. I get everybody wants something new. They want to paint a wall or, you know, build a backyard or something. So that's where we educate them instead of, man, I can't believe I'm building this 4,500 square foot home and they're not putting water purification in. Well, it's because... They can't afford to right now, and it's not priority. We do it later on. Yeah, of course. Right? You don't buy a car with new rims on it or a sound system. You put that in later. You pay for the car first. And then when you do scratch your rims on that first curb, you're thankful that you didn't buy them. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> are clients asking you guys for recirc lines, or are you guys offering recirc lines? So we Depends on, I guess, the size of the house, right? We really, uh, that is something we highly educate at the beginning. That's important these days. So what we've been doing is uh, we put that on every quote now as a line item that they have to physically say no to. Good. Because anything over 2,000 square feet, it, it's almost mandatory. And same with multi-systems. So you're talking about your HVAC system in your house. Anything over 2,500 square feet, we highly, highly, highly recommend uh, you're putting in a, a two-split system. A second unit, yeah. Because, uh, because you're not 2,500 square feet. You're adding a basement. Right, so now you're whatever you're you're, you're twelve hundred on the main floor and twelve hundred on the upstairs floor and you're twelve hundred in the basement. Come on, they keep forgetting the basement is just another floor, man. But we're talking also to the uh, like, especially if that's usable space. The challenge is, is if the architect's not showing it on the drawing, 
Now you're taking away th- something. Yeah. So what we try to do is what's the root cause of these problems? Well, you can't give it to them and then take it away. So if you're going to say you've got to lose 200 square feet because we got to put a mechanical room upstairs and your budget was this, but now it's this. Now you're giving them low and then you're taking it away. It's, it's yeah, poor but in all marketing. fairness, Dan, why is it your responsibility at this time to bring this up when it should have been the architect's responsibility? Because I want to be part of the solution and not a complainer. Exactly. So, I mean, the thing is that there should have been a conversation with the mechanical team. Or, I mean, this is kind of general consensus with the architects and engineers. Yeah, but, it, but you're again, they have their personas. Yeah. So, it's like you've got to... There's a, especially from a mechanical, it's like wood, right? Like you guys do carpentry and there's, there's so much incredible product. Where do you draw the line of someone's being cheap? And where do you draw the line of someone cares? Yeah. Right? Like for me, I like my, you know, my climate, I want to be climatized, right? I want someone to be comfortable. Someone else might not give a shit. Someone might be thinking about their electricity bill or they might be on a different budget. Um, so I think you got to really define your client first which is a really smart thing to do that's a that's a new hurdle for any new tradespeople coming into the business is trying to figure out how to read clients how to communicate with clients ask ask the questions have a checklist yeah that's all it is find out what they like and what they don't like it's super easy don't assume ask the tough questions hey where are you financing this project from if it's from the bank or if it's from a refi you'll know how to market to that client because that refi money, guess what? They're putting the money in the tile because they want to make sure the value's up. Hey, the second system in the home is going to add a lot of value. Hey, putting that garden suite in the basement, it's going to add you an extra 150K. Maybe what we can do is put it in there for you, right? Or even rough it, future proof it. Call us back in a year or two when you're ready to do it. If you don't ask some questions, you can't, you're just assuming a bunch of nonsense. And you can't, not in construction. No, you don't need to. No. People are afraid to ask. Little green book talk, man. What's the current addition these days? Current addition to the green book? Yeah. Well, no, what's the, what's, what year is it? What are we at right now? Oh, man. It's recent. It's 2023. That's pretty good. It's very good, right? Uh, I just want to let people know because some guys don't, don't actually know this. Where to It was buy. 08 before. No, it was not. I, I mean, I've got a, one around here that's 2019, man. Oh man, you're talking yeah, about. Yeah. I, I don't know how much has changed then, but uh, they ask where to buy the uh, OHSAO, which is the Green Book in Ontario. Uh, you can buy it at Service Ontario Publications on their website. And then, guys, how much is the book? Nineteen ninety-five, and legally you're supposed to have it on a job site with you at any given time, right? So if the Ministry of Labor shows up, it's there. We have our TSSA. That I know. TSSA is a funny animal. Because I know you guys have to deal with them for gas and everything like that, right? So they're an interesting animal. Yep. We just had an audit. Went really well. Okay, good. Good for you guys. You can't be scared of them. They're your friend. It's not It's not that I'm scared. I've shared this story before on the show where I had a client that we did a kitchen, a full main floor. It turned into a kitchen, then it turned into the whole first main floor. And they had a gas appliance. And so I, in my budget, in my estimate, I had one gas fixture, right, that we had to reconnect and do this. So it was pretty standard. Right? Yep. Here it is. And all of a sudden he says, well, can you give me a price to extend or continue the line for a barbecue outside? We want direct gas, right? Yep. I said, no problem. Give him price. He thought it was too high. It was the same price. It's a standard. This is a standard when it comes to gas, right? 
very next day, you know, he says no. And then the day after that, him and his dad are unthreading what was just signed, just taken care of, passed. And I questioned him. He goes, no, 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 I'll take care of it. So I spoke to the TSSA about this. And they said, listen, it's the homeowner. They can do whatever they want to their house. I go, what if the house explodes? Yep. That's when we'll get involved with the investigation. I go, are you kidding me? So you're going to wait for the house to explode if something was improperly done by a unlicensed person. Uh, but you can't. And he goes, no, we can't even knock on the door and ask them, can we enter? And they say, no, we can't even set foot on that property. That's what the TSSA said. And I was like, so what's really the purpose of your organization? To review things that happen after the fact? Yeah. I mean, uh, who do you go to for therapy? <laughs> I just said, listen, I want it on the record that I had this conversation with you. Yeah, In yeah. In the event no, this, this ever happened, that's it. I do, because obviously as me being the GC and me hiring the gas fitter that did the work, it, if something did, I'm not wishing it, but if something did happen, then obviously I would be questioned, right? And I'd be like, listen, I, I just want to make it clear that I was actually here. I had a conversation with you on this date. That's all it was because I didn't appreciate the homeowner doing that, right? Well, and that's the gas tag, right? Yeah. So that's where you get your dates from. That's where you get your contracts from. And as a business owner, from a from our standpoint anyways, like we see it all the time because that's the interesting thing about side jobs. So side jobs and plumbing is, is whatever, right? Yeah, everybody does them. Yeah, it's totally fine. Gas. Where's your TSSA? Are you using my tags? Yeah, exactly. Right? So that's where it comes into a liability thing, right? So you got to make sure everybody's you know, properly insured and understands it. But it's taken seriously as well, right? You're talking low-pressure gas, but at the same time, um, you, know, you don't want to start messing around with it. But you also have to look at it from a governing standpoint, right? So it's... No point getting into the college no, trades no, conversation. No, no, yeah. no, because that's, that's going to take two days. <laughs> positive, positive, positive. <laughs> uh, Dan Guest, Guest Plumbing and HVAC uh, at uh, Guest Plumbing. Uh, I want to actually, uh, are you guys crimping everything these days? Yep. Everything's being crimped. Nobody's Crimp, soldering anymore. Pro-press, a little bit of soldering. Yeah, pro-press. I mean, they're nice, but it goes back to cost, right? I mean, but it also goes back to efficiency. The amount of time it takes to sweat, sand, prep, solder versus press. Yep. Done. I respect it. I totally like, I mean, I appreciate that because I'm a copper guy. I'm an old school vinyl, right? So I'm an old school. I like seeing copper. I like the only other one that I would like and compare to would be opener. Yep. That's it. Pax, I am not a fan of. I just never have been, never will be. I just, I just don't like it. I know I'm not a master plumber, but I just don't like it at all. That's good. It's the commonplace though for everything. So that's it. It is a cost thing. And I get, you're right. Uh, Every client has a budget. That's all. And I've always appreciated and respected clients that actually said, listen, we're going to hold off. And then once we have the funds, we'll get ready to go and we'll pull the green light and we'll go. Those are smart clients, in my opinion. Totally. Instead of ones that just want to borrow as much as they possibly can and go, listen, can you build it for this much? Because <laughs> this is what we're allowed to actually get from where we have to get our money totally. from, which I don't appreciate. Right. So 100 percent. Dan, we got to wrap it up soon. I just got to do the 12 questions for you. But anything else you want to share on this lovely show, man? Man, I love what you're doing. Thanks, bro. Um, I, I know you talked about, I don't know if you're going to launch it or not, but it really. really no, 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 don't even say yeah, it. No, uh, <laughs> what you're doing on here is fantastic. Thanks. And uh, you know, sharing people's stories is huge. I, I'm always fascinated by, I haven't been in construction as long as many people that have been in construction, but I've always been in awe of, uh, I was the guy looking through the peepholes in the plywood. Yep. I'm just, in fa- I'm just in awe of it, right? And I'm in awe of respect of any tradesperson that has a skill that has honed that skill, right? And they just, they just, they have that passion for it. So I, I just, I'll ask questions. 
I'm just curious about it, right? It's not that I'm trying to take work from you. I'm, I might be trying to learn a thing or two for my own personal projects, but I, I just have a lot of respect for tradespeople that do that, right? That's awesome. All right, let's do uh, Dan Guest, Guest Plumbing. Cool. 12 questions. Ready for this? Yeah, man. Did you see these questions at all? No. You didn't need it. Don't worry. You're in that group of people that saw the email but didn't read the email. What is your favorite construction word? Solution. What is your least favorite construction word? Problem. What turns you on in construction? um, Renovations. Yeah, taking general. from going from old to new. A lot of old in Hamilton. Tons. Man. A lot yeah. of work in Hamilton yeah, going on. Rebuilding, re- revitalizing. It's pretty awesome. I remember back in the nineties, man. You could buy a house in Hamilton for the same price you'd buy a decent car these days. Yeah, hundred percent. What turns you off in construction? Um, some of the mi- lack of mindset. What's your favorite curse word? Fuck. What's your favorite vehicle? Anything in the world. You got to convince Ethan. I'm assuming he might like El Camino, so if he likes a Magnum. Yeah. So you seen Entourage? <laughs> yeah. So that Lincoln is suicide is, doors. Yeah, that's what I'm gonna I'm gonna get that as my next car. It's actually a nice one. That's yeah, perfect. It's a nice price too. It's nice and cheap. Doesn't forty k right now. I hope uh, Ford never brings a, a modern day version of that back. Ford's coming up with some cool. Uh, Lincoln's coming up with some good, good product. I think. New cars, yeah. But I mean that whole retro thing that's been going on, bringing this back, bringing this back, and oh, just it's too, b- too big of a boat. Yes, but it, you got to keep it that big. That's the thing about it. It's yeah, a couch. 100%. It's a couch on the back. 100%. I was a Buick and an Oldsmobile guy. So. <laughs> What's your least favorite vehicle? <laughs> uh, Yaris, Toyota Yaris. Oh, yeah, they're tiny. Eh? This table's bigger than that car. Yeah. Um, what construction sound or noise do you love? Construction sound or noise do you love? Oh man, gas saw starting up. <sighs> Nothing like it. What construction sound or noise do you hate? Tin banging. All day long. Yeah. In a house that's got nothing to absorb sound. I don't know how my guys do it. Uh, it's hard. Put on the muffs. Listen to the podcast. <laughs> uh, what profession, other than your own, would you like to attempt one day, Dan? Uh, education. I can see that. What profession would you not like to do? Um, a doctor. Last question. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at those pearly gates? You did good, kid. Dan, guest, guest plumbing and HVAC at guest plumbing. Uh, check them out. And the podcast is called Guest Guest Life. Guest Life. That's nice, man. How long have you been doing that show for? Three years. You enjoy it? Yeah, I love it. Yeah. I could do this all day. It's, it's just talking biz, man. That's all. It is. Talking life. It's just talking about uh, everyone's. Uh, I'm always fascinated by what uh, other things are going on in people's lives outside of construction, man. Pa- passion for learning is, is uh, I'm very fortunate to pick that up. Yeah. Thanks, man. Thanks so much for having me, man. I appreciate it. Okay, we are out of here. Thanks, Angelina.